Hello and welcome to Strong Songs, a podcast about music. I'm your host, Kirk Hamilton, and I'm so glad that you've joined me to talk about music and songs and what makes good songs good. A couple things before we start. First of all, thanks so much to everybody who said something nice or shared the show. It really means a lot, and it's cool to see it getting out there. Um, I'm just glad that you've all been listening and enjoying the show. We are about to pass 100 ratings on the Apple Podcast app, which I think if you pass 100 ratings, like you, you're officially a real podcaster or something. I don't know. Anyways, thanks everyone who's rated it. If you haven't rated it and you have time, go ahead and do that. That would be super cool. I have been thinking a little bit about some bonus episodes that I might do or some off-format things. Obviously, this is a new show and I'm experimenting with, you know, how I do what I do. But a couple things I've been thinking about. One is just a sort of a music primer. A couple of people have written in to suggest or ask for this. Just an episode where I explain some of the terms that I use. I try not to use too much music, like, you know, high-level music terminology on this show, but there are a few things, you know, song form and meter and chord types, you know, a few things that it might be kind of cool to break down. Not totally sure how I want to do that, but um, I'm thinking about that. The other one involves listener questions, and here's where you can get involved. If you email me at strongsongspodcast at gmail.com, that's the email address you can send me questions, feedback, anything. But um, if you send me a, a question there, what I'm looking for are questions just about small, specific things in songs that you've always wondered about that I can maybe try to answer. And if we get enough of those, I could do a whole episode out of them. So some examples, these are actually from my former boss, Steven, um, from Kotaku. He suggested a couple questions. One was, is the drum solo in Phil Collins's In the Air Tonight good, or is it just loud? And another question he had is he had was, why is the Star Spangled Banner considered such a hard song to sing? So those kinds of questions, which I think would be fun to just really quickly go and answer, you know, um, f- five or ten of them or something on an episode. It might be cool. So if you can think of any small things about songs that you've wondered about that uh, that you'd like that you'd like me to try to answer on the show, uh, feel free to email those to strongsongspodcast at gmail.com. All right, time for this week's strong song. And this week's song is one of those ones where every time I listen to it and every time I listen to it for this show, I heard something new, something cool that I really wanted to share with everyone. This song starts with one chord and it's this chord. And then it goes to this chord. And then it goes to this chord. And if you see where we're going, you're really going to know where we're going by the time we hit this chord. You all know what comes after that chord. Oh, heck yeah, we're doing Thriller this week. Michael Jackson's Thriller, specifically, a song pretty much everybody in the world knows and everybody thinks they've heard, and yet a song that when I sat down to listen to it for this episode, I heard like 500 things that I'd never heard before. So it's one that's very fun to listen to closely because it's got so much going on and it's such a cool tune. Before we get into it, some vital stats. Thriller was, of course, the title track from Michael Jackson's hit 1982 album, Thriller. It was composed by a songwriter named Rod Temperton, who also wrote the lyrics and played synthesizers and did the arrangements. He wrote the spoken word section that Vincent Price does at the end. So really, Rod Temperton is responsible for this song. Of course, the person mainly seen as responsible for Thriller, in addition to Michael Jackson, who sang on this track, is producer Quincy Jones, maybe the most famous record producer of all time, and this is one of his greatest albums. 
albums. So I would I kind of see Thriller, I guess, as a collaboration between Rod Temperton, Michael Jackson, and Quincy Jones. It also features David Williams on guitar, Brian Banks on synth, and a horn section consisting of Larry Williams on sax, Bill Reichenbach on trombone, and Jerry Hay and Gary Grant on trumpet. Interesting side note for longtime Strong Songs listeners who listened to the very first episode of this show about Toto's Africa. Uh, many members of the band Toto actually were studio musicians who played on Thriller. None of them played on uh, Thriller, the song itself, but many of them were on the album, including Jeff Porcaro and David Page, the writers of Africa, which was released on Toto 4, which also came out in 1982. Turns out 1982 was a pretty good year for music. So the last few episodes, I have had some sort of big theme that I've explored with the song in question. This time, I'm not really sure that I do, because the two most important things that I want to talk about on this episode are groove and chords, aka rhythm and harmony, the two most fundamental aspects of music. Uh, There's no way to dress those up as big, interesting concepts. They're just the two most important things about this song. So normally this is where I would talk about the intro. I already kind of laid it out, but there's just one thing about the intro that I think is really cool. So let's listen to the actual intro, not me playing it on piano, and I'll just point out the chord that I really like in the intro. (laughs) Shout out to Bruce Sweetie and the recording engineer on this who also did the sound effects. Okay, really quick, something that I like during this intro is that there's just this cowbell going on two and four in the right channel, and it almost sounds like they left the click track on. So the click track in music is the thing that plays in your headphones to let you keep the time. And a lot of times it actually sounds just like that cowbell sound, and I almost wonder if they use the click track sound to make that intro work. Listen again, you'll hear it. So that last chord is the one that I really love. Those chords in order, it starts as a sort of a C-sharp minor 7th, then it goes to an A major 7th over C-sharp, then an F-sharp over C-sharp. Those are all pretty standard chords. And then it goes to a G diminished chord. Now, a couple episodes ago when we were talking about Beyonce's single ladies, I talked a little bit about an augmented chord. A diminished chord is kind of related to an augmented chord in some ways. It's similar. It's a less common chord, but it has a very distinct sound. And in this case, diminished is very strongly associated with like classic horror movies and silent films. It kind of has this very dramatic vibe. So I think that the diminished chord is a perfect way to set up the riff, which of course comes in in sort of a simple combination of C-sharp minor, E major, F-sharp, and C-sharp. So let's not belabor the intro, though. It's a great intro, and it sets up that beat perfectly, but I want to get right into the groove, because the groove on this tune is, it repeats throughout the entire song. It's very simple. There's only one place where the beat changes, and it's a cool, distinct, and odd beat. So we're going to do what we did with Beyonce, and we're going to break it down part by part. Let's start by just listening to the groove in question. So the thing that is probably jumping out at you is that bass line. And that's great. But um, before we get into that, we're going to break down the drum and percussion parts because those are what lay the groundwork for that bass line to work as well as it does. So we'll start by building the groove, sort of some combination of sampled sounds and, and me hitting my desk and stuff. Um, let's let's just do the hi-hat and the kick drum. The kick drum is what the drummer plays with his foot. It's the big drum. And the hi-hat are the two little sandwich cymbals that you hit to kind of keep the time. Kick drum we're going to do by hitting the desk. 
And we'll do the hi-hat just by going All right, here we go. All right, it's a pretty good start. So let's listen back to the groove and see what else there is that we can add. All right, so now let's add a few other things. First, we're gonna add the snare, which will just make some snaps. And then there are also hand claps that happen every other snare hit. So we'll make those hand claps. And then last thing is that cowbell that was actually playing during the intro gets a new role here. And it's this like dope dope that kind of happens every bar. So we'll add that as well. Here's what we got. I'm sure that if Quincy Jones could hear this killer groove we're cooking up that he would love it. Actually, I, I'm not sure of that. Um, one more thing I want you to listen for now before we get to the bass is there's these, I think they're just sample, but there are these little bongo drums playing in the middle of the mix, like a bip-boop, bip-boop, bip-boop-boop. Uh, listen really quick, see if you can hear them. So for that, you know what would be good is maybe some tongue clicks. So we'll let's, uh, let's add in a little tongue clicks to the groove that we've got and, and flesh the whole thing out. So I hope that this illustrates how much um, arranging a beat really matters. I mean, I'm making these silly sounds with my mouth and like banging on my desk, but because I'm imitating the groove, you know, I'm matching the groove that they did on Thriller, it gives it a very distinct vibe. And every groove, kind of every groove on every pop song has been arranged, you know, meticulously and really carefully to give it a distinct uh, a distinct style. So you know, there's a hi-hat and there are hand claps and there's a snare drum and there's a kick drum, but you can do so much with that if you're very deliberate about that. And I think they're very deliberate um, about that on this track. It's to the point where I could play the bass line on flute and it would probably still be fairly grooving. Let's test that theory. And there you go. It's a carefully considered, well put together beat. It makes everybody want to dance. It has a big snare drum hand clap that actually happens to match up with where they do that big over the head hand clap during the music video, which is pretty perfect. So before we get too much into the uh, additional chords that I like on this tune, I want to talk a bit about Michael Jackson's vocals. Um, I Let's just listen to how he begins, how he enters on the verse. Check this out. That opening line rules, it's close to midnight, something evil's lurking in the dark, great lyric. It also contains so many little Michael Jackson-isms that it's almost like, I mean, any line of Michael Jackson singing tends to contain a lot of those isms. Those have become so ingrained in the pop culture consciousness and the way that we listen to music that I think people just don't really think about them. I know that's been true for me anyways. Um, when Michael Jackson died, I remember going back and listening to his music and being struck by it in that way that uh, I think is kind of common when a, when a very famous influential artist dies and you go and listen to their music, I kind of heard it with fresh ears and I was really listening to him. And what I found was this fascinating singer. I mean, I know everybody talked about what a great singer and what a great entertainer he was, but he was a fascinating and very strange singer. And I think that's all on display here. There's just like a few little isms I want to highlight in that line. The first one is right before he sings the first word. Here it is. <laughs> I mean, what is that? He just goes, ah. 
right before he starts singing. So there's the first one. The next one comes at the end of that line as he actually turns his breath into this kind of percussive element right here. You can hear he holds the note and then he goes like that, but it's right in time. Check it out. And then the last one comes at the very end. He says, something evil's lurking in the dark. But he doesn't say dark. He says, dark. And that's a very Michael Jackson thing. I mean, all of these are very Michael Jackson things. But that's a very Michael Jackson thing to end with that. Like that. Check this out. You hear it? He goes, at the end. So listen for all three of those things. And then just throughout this tune, anytime you listen to it, listen to all the little carefully controlled little bursts and bumps and percussive elements that he adds with his breathing and the sort of glottal starts to his notes and the way that he sort of embroiders the the melody as he sings it with all of this percussive stuff. It's it's very cool. So, you know, as much as Rod Temperton wrote and arranged this song and uh, Quincy Jones produced this album, Michael Jackson, his stamp is so on this tune just through the vocal performance. It's really fun to sit and listen to his vocal performance and try to pick out all the little things like that. It's really cool. So let's talk about something that's happening with the chords on this verse. This is just going back and forth between C sharp minor and F sharp, just one minor and four. So one and four, really common chord progression, but it has a steady build to it that builds up to the pre-chorus. And um, it almost doesn't sound like it's just two chords. This is a little similar to what we talked about with You Can Call Me Al. It's, uh, you know, they're stacking and layering in a way that makes it sound like there's a direction to the tune, even though they're just going back and forth between the same two chords. So let's listen to the verse and then talk about how they're doing. It's close to midnight. Something evil's lurking in the So right there, they're just going back and forth. They're not actually layering anything. They're just going from F sharp up to C sharp minor and then back to F sharp like that. But then they start to do something smart. They take the chords and they begin to raise them up. So instead of this F sharp, you get this F sharp and then you get this C sharp that's even higher and then you get this F sharp that's even higher than that. And the effect is that you basically have these, you know, it's going F sharp to C sharp minor, but it's building and getting higher and higher each time. So what you wind up with is the first part of the verse just sounds like it's going back and forth. And then you hit this part in the second half of the verse that feels like it's going somewhere. And you don't know exactly why, but it's because they're taking the same chords, but they're inverting the chords a little bit differently and they're going higher with each note. So now let's listen to that part and I'll play along a little bit. I'll just play the chords so you can hear how they're changing the chords each time. Now it starts to build. So when you take chords like that and you play them very specifically and then you change the way that you're, it's called voicing, the way that you're voicing the chords so that you have higher and higher notes, but you're playing the same chords, it's a good uh, reminder of how much it matters where you're playing the chords. You know, a lot of times you'll see lead sheets on the internet um, or guitar tablature that just sort of says, oh, here are the basic chords for the song. But it makes a big difference if you actually listen and learn the way that they played the chords, because that can give the song a lot of its energy and a lot of its momentum. Certainly is the case here. 
All right, well, we waited long enough. It's time to get into the chorus. So let's talk about the chorus. First, let's just listen to the chorus. Man, what a chorus. So there's a lot of good stuff about that chorus that I want to talk about. First thing to highlight, though, is just Michael's singing again. Um, that first note that he hits, I mean, that that is a, an iconic note, and it's a really high one. That's a high C sharp, which, you know, for any dudes who sing in the tenor range, that is right at the very, very peak of the acceptable tenor range. Now, Michael had a really good mix and a really high voice. He could sing very high, but still, I mean, that we're talking about, like, all right, let's see. That is a real high note to sing. And obviously, you know, I mean, he has really great technique and a really good mix, but holy cow, um, he just he just hits it. <laughs> I mean, respect. So another little thing on this chorus that's super cool is what's going on in the right channel. It's a little keyboard part that I never heard until I sat down and listened to this on headphones. Um, and it sounds kind of like this. Listen for it. It's in the right channel. just think that line is really cool. Another thing to notice is that the actual groove, the groove that we set up at the very beginning, has not really changed. It's the same groove. It's just that the synths have gotten a lot bigger. The keyboards that are playing are playing these big chords. Um, Michael recorded some backup vocals that come in to, add to, you know, kind of reinforce some of the lines that he says, and everything just sounds much bigger, even though the actual fundamental groove is just the same. So after the first chorus, they go back into the groove, and they kind of highlight uh, the guitar part. I believe this is David Williams playing that um you know is it comes in actually before the first chorus and it's a really cool little guitar part Can I just say that I think that it's great that this song, one of the most famous songs of all time, has all of these really cheesy movie sound effects just overlaid. I mean, I haven't talked about it that much, but during the grooves, there's just wolves howling. When he says you hear a door slam, the door actually slams. Um, it's hilarious and not something, I, it's something that just becomes part of the texture of this song. But when I really sit and listen to it as a piece of music, it's like they said, yeah, let's make a really great dance tune. We're going to make a killer beat. We're going to make it sound so cool. And then once we're finished, we're just going to layer a whole bunch of movie sound effects over it. And it totally works. It works great. So now we're in the second verse, and actually much like in Stevie Wonder's I Wish, which we talked about last episode, the second verse is where the horn arrangement really makes itself known. The horns actually are introduced at the very end of the chorus with a nice little hit that, you know, it's it doesn't stick out or anything, but it's sort of subconsciously I think you hear it and think, oh, new element, there are the horns. And with, as with any good horn arrangement, the horns are playing when Michael is not singing. So they add some nice little spice. It's not a super dramatic horn part, but it actually adds a lot to the song. So they're playing in the spaces in between the, the vocal lines. Realize, 
it's you know it's not a super dramatic horn line or very central but it does add a nice little bit of spice um the horns do something similar on the chorus they kind of pop these short little lines out in the spaces in between the vocal melody just adds a little bit more spice, adds a little more energy from the first time through the chorus to that second chorus. And then, of course, out of the second chorus, we go into the bridge. And this song has a ripping bridge. Just really, really cool. There's a few things that I really like on it. First of all, just the way that they get into the bridge. There's this sort of layering backup harmonies that create these really cool chords. And then they just drop kind of sideways into it with the bass. Bono, and they hit it. So just check out how that all works and try to anticipate the bridge as it as it's incoming. You know, you've got some good stuff going on. The horns are playing kind of pads underneath the vocals, sort of long-held notes with the synths. There's a nice uh, wolf howl happening over there in the right channel again. And the thing that I really like about the bridge, though, is that this is actually happening. It starts on an F-sharp chord, just like the verse, but Michael is singing this very different melody. He sings a descending C-sharp minor scale. And the way that it moves from that F-sharp to an A and the notes that he's singing, I won't get too technical about it, but it sounds really nice, actually. If you just play it on piano, it actually emphasizes uh, what it, you know, what he's doing with the melody and, and how cool it is. So check it out. So, you know, it's a neat melody and it, it goes by pretty quickly and it's a really different vibe than that and it's it's not as easy to hear all the harmonies and what's happening, but when you slow it down, it, that's actually really cool. I like how it lands on that second chord, the A, it kind of lands like this. It's nice and unexpected and a little bit lush, even though it goes by so quickly. I just really like that line. I think it sounds nice. Um, the whole bridge is pretty cool. Let's listen to the entire bridge now. Uh, the second half of the bridge does sort of something similar to the first half, though it comes out of it differently. So here's the whole bridge from top to bottom. Really try to listen to Michael's melody and the way that the chords are moving underneath his melody. So just a couple other thoughts on that bridge. First of all, the fact that it uses the lyric, there's no escaping the jaws of the alien this time, probably the best worst lyric I can think of off the top of my head and somehow makes it work is pretty cool. This is also where the groove changes a little bit. I won't get too into it since we spent a lot of time on the groove at the beginning, but I mentioned there's only one place in the tune where the groove changes and it's on the bridge. So the kick drum becomes, you know, just changes up its pattern, becomes a little more involved. The hi-hat changes a little bit. So the, uh, the, the beat is a little bit different. Another thing that's cool, I actually like how the horns get out of this. They do this like because you can hear the lead trumpet player, whichever of the two guys it is, is playing lead. He's kind of reaching for the note. And uh, mostly the horns on this track are so clean, they could almost be synth horns or something. But right there, you can really hear that, no, it's actually a trumpet. And I always like that when you can actually hear the instrument and you can hear the instrumentalist. 
There's also this cool sound. There are a lot of little sound effects that aren't necessarily horror movie sound effects that play in this uh, in this song that are just synths and whatever. And there's this sound that goes like, as they're building up. Um, it's when he says, this is the end of the line. Check it out. just it's fairly great it's a fairly great way to come out of the bridge so then we go into the final verse the final verse has all of the elements of the previous verses and then they add one thing that um i wonder if you can hear it's over in the right channel once again the exciting channel that's where they put all the fun stuff uh listen to the right channel and see what you hear That, my friends, is a theremin, a fascinating instrument that was used in a lot of sci-fi movies. Definitely a callback to cinema and this song Cinema Roots. Um, you may know it from the Beach Boys song Good Vibrations, which may or may not wind up actually being a strong song entry at some point in the near future. Um, and it's a it's a really weird instrument that I'll just describe to you. I can't play it because I don't have one. It's like an electrical instrument that you hold your hand, you hold one hand sort of one distance away from a little antenna, and the other hand sort of like you pinch like you're making a ooh delicious kind of a a-okay sign and then you use that to kind of move and the the antenna pick up uh, the distance of your hands from the antenna i don't need to get into the whole history and explanation of the theremin it's a cool instrument and that's what's happening over in the right channel so i'll try to recreate the lines that they played and i'll do it with the piano and by whistling which you heard me doing just a second ago whistling is kind of close to the theremin so we'll we'll call that good enough So listen for that in the right channel, and then listen for the second version, which goes even higher and is even more dramatic as they come out into that final chorus. That theremin just knocked me out the first time I noticed it over there. Super cool. So we have talked about the intro. We've talked about the verses. We've talked about the choruses and we've talked about the bridge. That pretty much just leaves one thing, but it's a really good thing on this song. And that is the outro. And thus begins one of the great outros in pop music history. So this is another good example of what we saw with You Can Call Me Al, Paul Simon's You Can Call Me Al, which is there's fantastic layering going on in this outro. So at the very beginning, we have two things happening. In the left channel, we've got the guitar playing that same guitar part. And then over in the right channel, the keyboard is playing a sort of modified version of that little cool synth line that I pointed out earlier that was happening on the chorus. It kind of sounds like... So listen for those two in your left and your right channel. So at that point, a couple of cool things come in. First, the organ comes in playing this sort of creepy, steadily ascending um, chord progression over on the left. And as that organ line plays, of course, Mr. Vincent Price comes in with his incredible narration. So listen for both of those things and then listen as they develop as the song kind of continues. Darkness falls across the land The midnight hour is close at hand Creatures crawl in search of blood To terrorize your neighborhood 
whatsoever shall be found without the soul for getting down. So now they've full on coming in the right channel with a big loud organ. So listen to that and prepare to get lost in a cloud of Michael Jackson's. It's just so many backup vocal tracks. It's so good. So then when Vincent Price comes back in, we also get the return of the theremin. The foulest stenches in the air. The funk of 40,000 years. And grisly goons from every tomb are closing in to seal your doom. I don't know, man. If you're going to close a tune out and you're going to have a big, long outro, I honestly can't think of a better way to do it than the way that Thriller does its outro. Um, There's something to be said for finishing your song and just getting out. If you're going to drag things out, get Vincent Price to read the most epic monologue about the undead that you can possibly come up with. That'll do it for my thoughts on Michael Jackson's Thriller, a song probably best known for its music video, but that is quite a song on its own, in my opinion anyways. Thank you so much for listening. As always, you can find me at strongsongspodcast at gmail.com and on Twitter at Kirk Hamilton. That's K-I-R-K Hamilton. Send me your feedback, requests, thoughts, and if you have any questions that you would like answered in a question and answer episode, uh, email them to me. You know, anything you'd like to know about a song, some solo, a time signature you're curious about, what they're doing with some arrangement, anything like that, um, shoot me a question and maybe I'll be able to answer it on the show. Thanks so much for listening. We'll be back in two weeks with yet another strong song.